This is Bob Wooden. I'm here again with part two of my Linux adventure. If you didn't hear part one, don't worry, it was kind of boring. But that story had to start somewhere and my Linux adventure continues. I moved from one state to another in the fall of 2004, some 450 or 500 miles. Life always changes. One of the results of that move was I got broadband. 1.5 gigabytes of download speed. And compared to the 56k dial-up I had in at my other house, well, it was big time fast. I could download ISO images. Updates that took two hours on the dial-up before now took a few minutes. I got lucky with my new job. Granted, it was a small company, but my experience paid off. Three or four weeks into my new job, one of the Windows computers just dies. Question becomes, how do we get the design files or the company files off of that computer. I announced that I could do it and everybody wanted to know how. And I started to explain that, well, I could just use a live CD and, well, here, wait a minute, let me show you. So I reached over to my bag and happened to have a Nopic CD with me, whatever version it was at that time. Put the CD into the CD-ROM drive, accessed the BIOS, got it to boot from the CD-ROM, and Nopic starts. Everybody's standing there watching me. I'm out of the HDA1 drive. KDE GUI, of course, looks very similar to Windows. And one of the other employees looks over my shoulder and says, Well, that's what Linux looks like? I thought it was some kind of a command line thing. And I said, Well, no, this is it. And he said, Well, we can live with that. Meaning that Linux had saved the day again. Knowing the file structure of Windows, it didn't take me long to get, capture the files that they wanted. Plug in a USB drive and push them over to the USB drive. And there we go. They've got the files that we need. So pretty much I became the self-appointed IT person on staff. I started slowly first cleaning all the Windows computers and studying what I needed to do there as far as defragging. And If you ever did much with a Windows computer, you knew what check this, chk dsk c colon forward slash capital F does. And it forces the Windows computer that the next time it starts, it will run check this before it even mounts the hard drive. It gives it a chance to clean it a little bit. Had to figure out how to get antivirus working properly. They didn't have very good antivirus. One of the first things I discovered was that all the Windows versions were the same. When I asked a fellow employee who had built some of the machines, he didn't really give me a straight answer. And I'm sure at this point I know that he didn't want me to know what he'd been doing. But history taught me that he was uh, covering up what he did. And after several days, when pressed, I was told that they, uh, meaning Microsoft, wouldn't catch us. And what the owner didn't know wouldn't hurt him. And so, therefore, who cares? This was his attitude. So, flashback five years. Five years ago, I lived in Indianapolis. There was a car dealer there who was in the news. The BSA and the sheriff's office had raided the dealership to come in and look at all the computers there. Uh, it seems that uh, after they confiscated the computers, all the Windows computers in the building had the same copies, and they'd only bought one single li license for the whole building uh, for one machine, and it was on multiple machines. Not to mention the co uh, multiple copies of MS Office, the Adobe Reader that was uh, licensed Photoshop on some of the various computers. This was a big news story in town, and it was in the newspapers and on the local TV. BSA fines were in the tens of thousands of dollars. The legal fees were even higher than that. And after six months, the dealership closed. It took the owners years to settle. I don't know the details, but the facts are it cost the dealership their dealership. So our owner, my new boss, uh, didn't have the same viewpoint as the other employee did. He agreed with me and that this was a major problem. His partner agreed. Big problem. So what did we do? Well, first I found some paid-for copies of Windows 2000. We backed up one, one operating system because it was a way to save a little bit of money. XP had been out just a few years and Vista was just announced to be released soon. 
So I began rebuilding computers with this Windows 2000. I had included AVG antivirus. We did buy a license for that. OpenOffice, of course that's open source. Firefox, Thunderbird. A product called CC Cleaner. Uh, this was to clean antivirus, well not antivirus, but actually malware or, or something along that line. Uh, SpyBot to keep, take care of any of the spyware. Uh, spyware Blaster to run in parallel to the SpyBot. A cute PDF to create PDFs for work. And the Windows Defrag program isn't the greatest thing in the world. There's a lot of aftermarket ones. I found this one called JK Defrag. It, you still use the Microsoft algorithm, which works. He had just rewritten the front end so it actually worked and worked better. In addition, we had real VNC so I could VNC into the computers and do updates and so forth. And last but not least, we had an expensive preparatory software that was related to the business that we ran. I had talked about in the last show, it was a design CAD program that has this, um, in this case they were upgraded to USB dongles. Uh, the last show I talked about a parallel port one. This one plugs into a USB port. It protects the software so you can't use it unless you have paid for licenses. They can find their USB dongles and kill your program if you haven't paid for it. Essentially freezing it up until you send them a check. So the guy that provided the illegal stuff, he found a different job and left the company. What surprised me was they didn't fire him. The company was in the process of opening a second location. We replaced all the software in all locations, brought the machines to what I will call a business type package software, removing the games and keeping it very business, uh, the software very business oriented. Before long, I had uh, Linux-based dedicated firewall machines at all locations, and over time I, I had collected multiple garage sale machines, so I used some of those machines to create these firewalls. Typically they were a Pentium 3 or something equivalent. At the time, I used IPCOP. There are, of course, Smoothwall is the, I believe that they're one of the first ones. IPCOP came along as a fork off of that. I had the same setup at home with an IPCOP firewall. So I did a VPN connection between all three locations. This way, I could VNC, uh, virtual network connect, into any of the Windows computers from at home. For example, I could get up in the morning and go to my computer and connect to one of the computers and tell it to update. And this is at 5.30 or 6 o'clock in the morning before anybody gets into work. Go off and, and brush my teeth or whatever and come back in a few minutes and that computer is updated and go on to the next one and do it again. So while I'm walking around the house eating breakfast and getting dressed and so forth, I'm updating computers at work. The advantage of the VNC, the virtual network connection, was uh, I was also kind of the help, I guess, for our designers. If they had some issue with a particular plan they were working on, I could log into their computer from wherever I was at and look at their plan to see what they were talking about, that they were having an issue getting this preparatory software to do what they wanted it to do. Uh, having had used that software for about 10 years, I was into all the little tricks and, and shortcuts to get the program to do what we wanted it to do. Each location has a central server. It was a Linux box running Samba. Just before I started the jo this job, I had switched to Ubuntu uh, 6.06 LTS. When I finished part one, I was still using SUSE at the time. They had decided to change their business plan, and SUSE was not going to be free, but they had started the OpenSUSE project. Now, concerned that they were going to be not supporting the OpenSUSE project very well, and knowing the amount of documentation that was available on the internet for Ubuntu, it kind of pushed me that direction. So I went down that road. I knew that there would be bondful how-tos available, and this was the beginning of my Ubuntu use. I do a lot of online shopping for used equipment and so forth. I had run onto a hardware device manufactured by LSI at the time. 
called a Mega Rad i4 ATA100 Rad adapter card. This was a card that you could plug up to eight IDE hard drives into to create a hard drive based Rad array. I have just recently discovered that these cards were the same used by HP and Dell and some of their higher end workstations. Dell sold a lot of these because there's a lot of documentation about the cell product that was called the CERC ATA RAD controller. So anyway, an IDE bus you know allows two device connections to it, a primary and a secondary, in this case, hard drives. You had four buses per card, therefore it allowed eight IDE hard drives to be connected to that card. Now, the caveat is, is that was a wonderful plan, but what all manufacturers of RAD hard drive, these hard drive controller cards discovered was that if you had a master and a secondary or a primary and a secondary hard drive on one bus and one of those hard drives failed, it would cause the other hard drive to also fail. So therefore it became advantageous to use one drive per IDE bus. Therefore you were limited to four drives per card because you had four IDE buses on it. So the logical wisdom became to use one drive per bus. This card gave uh, RAD options of, and if you know very much about RAD, it is a whole different program for Hacker Public Radio all by itself. But there's various RAD labels, levels of protection available. I happen to use my cards as a RAD level 5 with three hard drives that were part of the level 5 and one hot spare sitting there waiting in case one of the drives failed. In its day, this card was, I don't know, a 200, $200 or $300 retail value. And I was buying these used for 20 or $30. So, got a nice computer that's running a hardware RAD system. It's running Samba. All of the My Documents directories uh, are now moved to the server. Thereby, all the design files are pulled off of all the workstations and kept in one central location. In the event that a design computer would fail because it got a virus in it or whatever, the design files were protected and we could easily rebuild that computer and it would re-access the design files and they were always available and protected by this RAD. When I connected the firewall machines all together with a VPN, this allowed me to also use a Linux product called Unison, uh, University of Pennsylvania, I believe it came from, on each server. Now, at work we had two locations. With each server, I pushed these My Documents files in both directions. So we had copies of everybody's work at both locations. In the event that, for example, the warehouse would catch fire or explode or, who knows, flood, we could get the files from the showroom and vice versa. If the showroom had an issue, we could get the files at the warehouse. They were always available, so no one lost anything. I had double redundancy keeping the files back and forth at both locations. This is all done with a minimal expense on hardware. Remember, I'm using um, some existing old machines that were at work. Garage sale inherited machines that I'm buying for $5, 10 or $15 a piece. We invested in some Cat5 wire, some RJ45 jacks uh, for the Cat5 wire and plugs. You can buy those at your local home center. They're pretty economical. We grew to a point where we felt we needed a little bit uh, better hardware in some cases. I kept fighting workstations that would just not run right. They kind of acted uh, funky and did not run smoothly. Would hang sometimes, do things. Did some uh, looking for uh, newer hardware. Found a place online where I could buy some off-lease IBM computers. These were um, three or four or five-year-old Pentium 4s at the time, 2.5 megahertz. Nice machines that were in good shape. When I used SmartMon tools to check the hard drives 
and and take a look at uh, the read cycles, how what the life of the hard drive had been, uh, they were in better shape than most of our existing equipment. These were fast enough that and in better condition than our existing hardware, and I could retire some of these to the shelf and run these newer machines. During our third year, we realized that we needed more telephone lines at one of our locations. When there were three or four of us on the phone at the warehouse, when we only have two local lines, it's difficult for everybody to get on the phone when they need to. So we began looking into a PBX system. Quickly discovered it was way too expensive. So I started looking for alternatives. I had, over the course of time, read about uh, voice over IP, V-O-I-P, and began to experiment with one of these off-the-shelf boxes that was sitting there with a product called Trixbox. Loaded Trixbox, part of the experiment is to use software telephones on some Windows machines there in the office, so I set up a small lab and began to experiment. And within a day, I had an operational system that could call soft phones to the one computer to the other, through the tricks box and we had a professional sounding uh, interactive voice recognition system like any modern large PBX system. At this point creating this voice over IP system I hadn't spent any money because I was using existing hardware. We used trial software for the uh, software phones on the Windows machines to do this testing. So I talked to the owner and explained to him what I discovered and he was kind of interested and we decided to buy just two IP phones to put on the system and then I could configure those and see how those worked. I had to learn as I went. So we bought these two phones and a few days later the phones show up and I hooked them up to the system and sure enough it, the Trixbox recognized it and we could call those extensions back and forth and we were going down the road to having a telephone system. One of the main issues that I knew was going to cost some money was going to be the interface to connect the what are called POTS lines, your local telephone company, into this Trixbox. This card needs to have ports to plug the telephone wire into the back of the computer to the jacks from the phone company, and then it pumps the signal in through the tricks box into your system, and, and that tricks box then controls phones ringing, phones uh, selecting the, the line to use to dial out, etc., etc. So more configuration testing, and before long I had a system that could answer the phone. When a customer would call in, interactive voice response answering system which was a computer voice actually recording would answer the phone with hi thanks for calling our business today blah 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 press you know two to talk to bill and three to talk to mary and and so forth the customer could then press three and it would ring mary's phone so we bought some more ip phones and then had to solve the problem of more lines going in and out which I knew from the various configurations and the articles that I'd read the way to do this was to find a voice over IP telephone provider and we found one uh, there was a small setup fee of $25 I believe and then every month $11 for one additional line what this one additional line allowed because it was over the internet was four simultaneous incoming or outgoing calls at once we only added one line for $11 and we got four additional sources of ringing in ringing out by keeping our local phone number with the telephone company we could use call forwarding from them to forward the calls to our new voice over IP telephone number which was unadvertised we could maintain our business advertising through our yellow pages and white pages and keep that phone number customers would call into that phone number and not know that it rolled to our uh, new voice over IP system 
it was a way to save money and, and get more incoming and outgoing lines. Big advantage when there's three or four of us there calling out and a customer can still call in. One of the next things we worked on was fax machines. Fax machines are an administrator and an office manager's nightmare. They consume ink cartridges and paper. Plus, the machines are prone to failure. They're not built very well. They're usually not near the employees, so sometimes you don't know that the faxes come in, therefore you can't react to them. And in business, reaction to any question is important. Enter Linux. Took one of my garage sale machines. I think it was a Celeron 600 or something machine with a little 4.3 gigabyte hard drive. Because all these Linux computers that I were putting together to do these things, I was concerned with the configuration, hanging the machine or me doing something wrong. I didn't want to lose the, the network servers. I didn't want to lose the Trix box. I kept using separate boxes for all this stuff. In the event that the Trix box would fail, which was an important box, but in the event that the Trix box would fail, I would not take down the entire system and have a major nightmare. Fixing these fax machines was taking this old another off-the-shelf box. I had an external modem, which was the item to use because it was easier to configure than an internal one, using some uh, a Debian Halifax instruction that I had found on the internet. I loaded Halifax software onto the uh, computer. This software would receive a fax. When the modem heard the fax tone on the when it dialed in, it would pick it up and then hence print the said fax to whatever printer I directed it to. We had consolidated the printers to have each location had one printer. So you had Halifax printing out at the same printer that the designers sat at where they were printing their designs and so forth for their customers to see. Made the fax receiving near to the employee and quicker to respond. This was a simple solution to an expensive situation. We had gone away from inkjet printers and gone to laser printers at all locations because they were more economical. This computer that received faxes had nothing to do with sending we, we kept the fax machines for sending and just they shared the same line the halifax was set to receive on one or two rings the fax machine for sending purposes was set to ring on like six so halifax would always pick it up first in the event that halifax would fail or not pick up for some reason which did happen once due to a configuration upgrade after six rings the fax machine picked it up so we still got our fax it was a backup to the backup this Halifax machine also pulled second duty. I began uh, using it to pump uh, music into the showroom. We did a, a simple wiring system where I bought some eighth-inch male-female stereo extensions, plugged right into the back of the computer, threw it across the, the suspended ceiling to a set of computer speakers that were plugged in in one location, and then did a Y-splitter there to continue to the next set of speakers and the computer could feed three or four sets of speakers with no issue and just go along and adjust the volumes of each one until it was about right and you had nice showroom music playing all the time in the showroom. I set up a, a crone job to start the music player about the time the showroom was supposed to open and to stop the music player at the time when the showroom was supposed to close. Later these services, the Halifax and the music was pushed back to the main server so I could con consolidate back to one single machine. But it was part of my learning curve again concern for creating a catastrophic system failure that would bring down the entire system resulted in these experiments with other machines and I could leave the other things alone. Backing up, well, backing up I like to keep it simple as I possibly can. Nothing complicated. I didn't like the way Windows backup worked. You had to configure to do this and do that and, and push it and so forth. Enter Clonezilla. 
Clonezilla is a live CD that runs in a CD-ROM drive. It takes the image of the existing hard drive in that computer and stores it to whatever device you choose to store it to. Typically it's done with a USB hard drive that you just plug into the computer. It sees the USB and pushes the image right there. In our case, I had set up Central Server to include a directory in it to store the images on. So I could SSH, using Clonezilla you can SSH into a server and push the image right across the network to that computer. So every week, every Monday morning, I would go to work a little bit early and stick Clonezilla CDs into the Windows computers, start them up, and push the images off to the servers, which only took 15-20 minutes. They were not big images because all of my documents were stored on those servers, so therefore you're primarily only backing up the operating system and the programs that are there on the workstation. One of the workstations had a hard drive failure. Simple, I went to my storage shelf of excess parts that I collected from my garage sale stuff, pulled out a bigger hard drive, put it in the computer, used Clonezilla to restore the last image, and within an hour, things were up and going. The two biggest nightmares that I have found with workstations are um, the last two mechanical devices in the computer. Those are hard drives, uh, a, a spinning spindle hard drive, and cooling fans. Cooling fans, whether they're on the power supply or on the back of the computer case, fans fail. And when they fail, they stop cooling. And when they stop cooling, well, what happens? So periodically, you have to open the case and take a look and actually see if the fan is spinning. This can be difficult depending on the location of the machine. Our showroom location, the workstations were inside of a cabinet, so you couldn't look at the back of the machine. You had to actually pull the machine out of the cabinet to look at it. I really grew to hate fans because they tend to fail. So how do you know if a fan stopped blowing? Well, I came up with a simple little strip of paper to put over the exhaust next to the fan. So while the fan is blowing, the paper moves. So using a mirror, I could stick a mirror back behind and line it up and look down and see if the paper's moving. So paper moving, fan's good, hopefully. Hard drives, I had, I had installed smart, smartmon tools on Windows on all the machines so I could keep track of the smart testing and the results from those tests. When smart was configured properly, it would send an email if it got a bad report. This is okay, but most of our drives are pretty old, and what I have discovered is that each hardware manufacturer sets its critical values for SMART. They don't necessarily follow the intended guidelines. They set their values for what they want to to make their, their hard drives appear to last significantly longer. Once a SMART value has reached a critical threshold, Typically, the type changes to old age, and if you look at a new hard drive with SmartMon tools, you'll find that some of the values are already set at old age. It's as though as soon as the hard drive starts, it triggers old age, and therefore, it triggers an old age value, and therefore, you don't know if indeed the drive is going to fail or result of that. Most of the time, they're uh, small, irrelevant values. But these are still a mechanical spinning device, and something that has to physically move. It's not electronic. Oh, for the day to be able to afford an SSD drive. They seem to be coming along nice. However, at this point, are far, far too expensive. In this particular episode, I have referenced many open source programs, as well as some closed source programs. I think I have all of them noted in the show notes. I want to thank you for listening. Yeah, I can be contacted at bob.wooden at comcast.net that's b-o-b period w-o-o-d-e-n at comcast.net if you have any questions 
I'll be delighted to try and help. I don't know if I will have all the answers or not, but I will try. For my next show, I thought I might try something a little more current. I recently had a hard drive fail on a Ubuntu 10.04 LTS machine that I had set up with LVM2, and I'll go into all those details at that time. This accelerated a system upgrade for newer hardware, including updating the OS. So I thought that I would discuss my home network arrangement and how that server upgrade changed my home network. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you soon. You have been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by a HBR listener like yourself. If you ever considered recording a podcast, then visit our website to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club. HBR is funded by the Binary Revolution at binrev.com. All Binrev projects are proudly sponsored by Lunar Pages. From shared hosting to custom private clouds, go to lunarpages.com for all your hosting needs. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike 3.0 license.